Just got all kinds of things up here on stage. Thank you, sweetheart. Much appreciated. I got all, all kinds of fun things up here on stage for throughout today. Um, the, the thing I want to do very first, if that's okay with all of you, um, is I would like to just have a real quick moment in prayer. Um, some of you are aware, most of you probably are not, um, but if you've been reading the church emails and such, then you know that uh, Don and Sandy Timberman both ended up with, with the COVID, as we call it these days, and uh, that was a few weeks ago at this point. They both pretty much recovered from that now. As a matter of fact, Sandy ended up back at work a little bit this week, um, which was super encouraging for them. However, uh, there was a setback yesterday, not COVID-related, and we don't have the details on it yet. I, I won't speak too much into it because it was speculation, uh, but as of right now, she is in St. Vincent Hospital on the north side of India. Again, not COVID-related, a, a different uh, health issue that uh, they think they, they caught really, really early, um, but I, I, I assume Don, Don's probably at home watching right now, and so if you would, uh, just join me in prayer. Um, for them, this has been a very difficult three weeks for them, and now to have Sandy uh, in the hospital as well uh, makes it very, very difficult. And so uh, let's, just, let's just pause what we're doing and pray for our brother and sister in Christ. Father God, I'm uh, so thankful for Don and Sandy, um, and Mary Lou Britton too, who is at home um, dealing with COVID this week. Um, incredible, incredible people in our lives. And as they all are on the mend from the virus, uh, there's another setback, and I just pray. Uh, right now for Sandy, that uh, whatever specifically it was, that uh, she's in the right place. The doctors are, are taking good care of her, and I just pray for some encouragement uh, for Don. I know he's discouraged, Father. He's worried um, about his bride, and as I would be, and, and any of us men should be. So I just want to lift him up um, today uh, as we join with him as a brother in Christ in this service, in this message, in the worship. Uh, Father, be with her. Help her to return home as soon as possible. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Uh, these are these are unprecedentedly difficult times uh, for so many, and when things like this happen, and, and it just compounds, uh, it, it's hard. It's hard, and so don't forget to be lifting people up in prayer, whether you know them or not. Uh, just even just blanket generic prayers to lift up those people around you, because you know there's people that are suffering. Some you know personally, some you don't, but it's so crucial for us to do that as believers. All right. So here we go. Welcome to the final week of the 40 Days in the Word series. But what I want to say, this is the final week of the 40 Days series. It's actually the rest of your life studying and applying the Word of God in this brand new way. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to do a little wrap-up of the whole series. How do I maintain this heart, this desire for God's Word that we've been talking about the last six weeks? How do I continue the skills and the habits and the, the things that we've been doing these last few weeks? John, Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you continue, if you continue in my Word, then you are really my disciples. If you continue. There's an if there. There's a reason Jesus put that if there, and he knows many of us won't continue. But his challenge is for us to continue. He didn't say if you do it for 40 days and then stop. He, he said if you continue in his word. That is our lifelong job, if you will, as a follower, as a disciple of Christ. So this week, we're going to begin looking at how to maintain that heart for God's word. How do we integrate God's word into every area of our life? And this, this is kind of a big big deal. So that word integrate, I don't know if you fully understand that word, but hopefully you will hear in just a moment. It's the opposite of segregate, segregation, to separate things out into lots of smaller components or group. When you segment your life, you live a segregated life. 
So what I've done is I brought an illustration here that we'll come to at the beginning and we'll go back to at the very, very end. And my hope is that this will stick in your mind because virtually all of us have a set of dresser drawers somewhere else in life. And this is thanks to Rachel. Rachel, thank you for bringing this in so I could borrow it for the week. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you two different versions of this dresser that is representing your life, all right? The first one, this first half today, is probably the way most of us, quite honestly, treat our lives. And so let's look at it. The top drawer, this very top drawer, I want this top drawer to represent Jesus' drawer. This is obviously the most important drawer. It takes the top spot in your life. We're going to put God's word neatly in our Jesus drawer. Jesus is on the very top right here. He's in charge of our life. He oversees it all. It's a great drawer. It's wonderful. Um, It represents not just my life with Christ. It represents my time spent at church. It represents uh, the service work that I do. It, It represents my small group that I'm a part of. It represents so many different things. It represents my giving to the church. Yeah, all the giving that I do, my tithes, my offerings, all of those kinds of things, they're all contained in that one little top drawer. It's a wonderful, wonderful drawer. I love that drawer. Do you love that drawer? I love the Jesus drawer. It is a wonderful, wonderful place. However, there's more drawers in our lives, right? It fits so well. It's the top drawer. But let's go to the second drawer. Let's let the second drawer represent our married life. Now, if you are not married yet, okay, imagine if you're not married yet, you can place whatever relationship or whatever is really, really, really important to you. And maybe you're a college student. Maybe that's in your second drawer. Now, whatever that is, let that represent that. But, but this is your marriage drawer. This is an incredible, incredible drawer for those of us that are married, I hope. Um, the thing about it is, This is the most important relationship God gave us on this earth. It's not even close. God has given us this this relationship. Men, we are to protect and to guard this relationship like no other. We're even called to sacrifice our very own life if necessary. We are called to love our wives the way the, the Lord loves the church, the way Christ gave himself and died for the church. That's what his word reveals to us. Wives, God's word reveals to you that you are to love your husband and you're to submit to his spiritual leadership and his guidance. God created this incredible, incredible relationship for help to help us understand what unconditional love truly is on this earth. Now, Chris and I will get the privilege of celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary in June of this next year. Now, I know some of you have more than doubled us. I get that. That's awesome. We can't wait um, to do that one day as well. It is an incredible, incredible drawer for sure. Let's go to the third drawer. Let's let the third drawer represent your family. I've got a nice little picture here of my family to throw in my third drawer. Um, Now, it could be your children, absolutely. Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you don't have a lot of immediate family. Maybe those are close friends, coworkers, neighbors, people like that that uh, you hung out with. Maybe it's um, older people that have been mentors and guidance in your life because you really don't have that relationship with your family. Regardless of, of what it is, where would we be without those people in our life? Now, we know, and we'll say this frequently, not everyone has had a great family experience growing up. So if that's you, please know that is not God's intention for your experience here on this earth. Remember, God created us to first love him, first and foremost to love him, and then to love each other. And when we do that in the right way, this is the example. That, there should be no better example than that kind of love within a family of Christ. But this world is sinful. We know that. <laughs> And the acts of man have destroyed the family for so, so many people. So if this has been your family experience and it has not been something that's been enjoyable at all, as a matter of fact, it might have been something downright evil, please know this. We are so thankful that God has brought you to us here. 
God allows us when we come to him to be adopted into his family, to become his sons and daughters, to be brothers and sisters in Christ, and sometimes even fathers and mothers spiritually. So if you will allow us, if you will allow us the opportunity to give you that kind of love of a true family, we would greatly appreciate it. Now, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to mess up at times, but rely on God's grace and his mercy, and we rely on your forgiveness then to help us love you the way Christ wants to. So if your family life has been tough for whatever reason, then please, please, please allow us to begin repairing that third drawer in your life. You see, if your family is incredible, though, and you've had this opportunity to grow up in a godly family with the love and support and encouragement and, yes, discipline that we all needed along the way, then praise God, will you please commit today to striving to protect that environment for your kids, to keep on instructing them in the ways of the Lord, to keep loving them the way that Jesus has loved you and your family has loved you, all right? Drawer four, hey, let's move on to work. Now, I don't actually like coffee, but I know this represents a lot of your work lives, and so um, here you are. Uh, let's let drawer four represent your work. Now, for some of you, that is a great love of your life. You genuinely do love work. For others of you, it's what you might call a necessary evil, right? Either way, that drawer is important, and it takes up a lot of time in our life. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought about that drawer, your work drawer, as a form of worship? I know the blank expression on many of your faces tells me, no, you have not. I was just curious. You'll get more on that in 2021. That's called foreshadowing. <laughs> January will be here before we know it. Work, it's at least a means to provide for your family, right? At most, maybe it's a way to utilize the creative skills and gifts and abilities that, that God has given you in your life, a way to provide a good or a service for others. It can also be something that can be very overwhelming, <laughs> sometimes cause a little anxiety, Maybe a little stress in your life, right? So let's stop thinking about work and move on to drawer five. Uh, drawer five, let's, let, let's represent the rest of your life. Now, depending on what phase of life you're in, it could be a lot of different things. If you have kids, this drawer might be full of extracurricular activities. This could be sports. This could be academics, whatever. If you're not having kids right now, maybe this is filled with sports leagues and card clubs and social gatherings and things like this. It could be your workout regimen, if that's an important part of your life. It could be gaming. It could be the time you spend on social media or on your phone. It could be the time you spent hunting. Yes, it could be those things in many, many things. Whatever it is that fills your life, that is that fifth Drawer. And now we have this great dresser with Jesus right there on the very top being the most important feature of the drawer, right? Or does your dresser drawer really look a little more like this? I mean, work, oh my goodness, work. Work takes a lot of time. Let's just be honest. I mean, work is works rough. Uh, I get up early. I, I go to bed late. I, I, when would I read God's word during my day? I mean, there's just no time. I'm tired when I get home. When would I study? I just don't have time to do those kinds of things, right? Oh, then there's my spouse. Man, I love my spouse. My spouse is awesome. I love, we were out really late last night on a date. Uh, we, we can't probably make it to church the next morning. I mean, let's be honest. We were hanging with our friends, playing cards last night. It was kind of late. We had a long week. We both did. We both worked. Uh, Sunday is the only day that we actually get to sleep in and rest. I mean, maybe, yeah, I should probably pray with my spouse. I, I could probably study God's word with my spouse. But honestly, when would we do that? There's no time to do those kinds of things, Right? Well, then there's um, that next drawer, the, the family drawer. Oh, kids, yeah, we love our kids. Man, our kids are awesome. They are so important to us. They take up a lot of time in our lives. We, we can't 
miss those sporting events and stuff. We made a commitment to those teams. We, we can't take them away from that to attend church or to go to Bible study or things like that. We would love for them to lo- grow up and learn about God, but I, I don't have time to sit down and read God's word with them to study or do devotions or things like that. I don't have time to, to pray with them, do I? So that's why we take them to church. Well, when we can make it, right? We'll be back. We'll be back to church as soon as, as band's over, as choir's over, as baseball's over, as the travel season's over, as basketball's over, whatever. We'll be there. When summer break gets here, we'll be on vacation. So we'll get to back to, to the, the God stuff whenever that's past, right? <laughs> well, then there's our personal life. And man, Sunday morning, man, Sunday morning, best time on the golf course. It is so quiet. Oh my goodness. Sunday morning is so quiet. So nice out in the woods hunting on Sunday mornings. We get to sleep and it's so peaceful. I just can't find time to spend in God's word or in in prayer. I mean, by the time I get done reading what all my thousands of close personal friends on Facebook are doing in their life, when would I have time to read God's word, right? I mean, come on. I've got to perfect this thing from Pinterest. I got to get this right before I can open God's word, right? Now, it's possible that absolutely not a single one of those things describe any of you, but I know they did me. And wouldn't you know, our lives end up looking a little more like this. Yeah, Jesus is on the top drawer, isn't he? Uh-huh, there he is, nice and neatly. The problem is, if I even try to get to the Jesus drawer, the rest of my life is going to come crashing down all around me. Now, that might not be such a bad thing. We'll get to that later. In the end, if someone could please say a quick prayer as you're watching online at home that this doesn't all come crashing down and scare us during the message, that would be phenomenal, all right? So here's what you got. When you take your life and you say, this is my personal life, and this is my church life, and this is my business life, and this is my home life, and this is my marriage life, and you got all these things going here, then what you have is a very segmented, separated life. It is not integrated in any way, shape, or form. You cannot be. In fact, you will not be consistent in life. You will act one way here and another way there. You will treat people this way here and that way over there. You will handle this situation here totally differently than you will this situation over there. And that is not who God wants us to be. If we want to become a man of the word, if we want to become a woman of the word, how does that happen? Well, I can tell you this, it isn't going to happen on accident. It's not going to happen unless you and I have the desire, the intention to become a man or woman of the word. If you don't really desire that, then it's never, ever going to happen for you in your life. The first verse on your outline there on the seats today is Psalm 119, verse 20. This particular version comes from the temporary, contemporary English version because it just states it so well. What I want most of all, the number one priority of my life, what I want most and at all times, that means fully integrated, is to honor your laws. Those are the words of David. He's saying, I want to be a man of the word. Whether I'm at work or I'm at home or I'm playing a game or I'm on the golf course, wherever it is, I want to be a man of the word. I want to be, my life to be led and guided and directed by the word of God. So how do I do that? Funny you should ask that question. There are six steps to this plan that we're going to go over today. And wouldn't you know that these six steps are based on the six memory verses from each week of this series. Don't you love how we did that? Every verse was intentionally chosen because it gives us a key to continuing on in the word of God. We want you to remember them so that you can actually begin to build your life around 
them. Then you will become the man of God, the woman of God that he desires. These truths teach us how to take the Bible and then build our lives on it, to feed on it, to live by it, to grow through it, to act on it, and finally, number six, to trust in it. If you've missed any of those messages, please, please, please go to our website, click on the link. They're all there and rewind and review each of them. They will help you so much if you're just joining us today for the very first time. So the first step, number one, if I'm going to become a man or woman of the word is this, I must build my life on it. I must make the Bible my foundation for my life. The size and the strength and the foundation will determine how strong that structure is above it. I want to build my life on the word of God. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. At the very famous end of his Sermon on the Mount, he gives that wise man, foolish man illustration, and he closes with these words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, hopefully, many of you remember that because that is our memory verse for this week. I gave it to you last week. If you build your life on the truth, the rock of truth, truth never changes. Opinions, they will change, absolutely. When the winds and storms of life come and you are based on the truth, when the trials and troubles and temptations of life comes, when those tough times come as they are for so many right now, you will not be blown away. You will not be crushed at all. You will not crumble like other people do because your life is built on the truth of God. Will you say this? Will you say, God, I'm going to build my life on the rock. I'm going to build my life on your word. I don't always understand it, God. I, I, honestly, I sometimes don't even like what your word has to say to me. But God, even if I don't like it, I'm going to build my life on it because I know this. I know you are not going to lie to me. This is truth. So many people build their lives on the shifting foundations of things here in this world, like pop culture, like tradition, like reason, like emotion. Pop culture, you know it. It changes every day. You can't keep up with it if you tried. Every, even God's word tells us, Exodus, all the way back in Exodus 22, or 23, 2, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Why? Because that's usually what the crowd is doing. Wrong. It's true. It's been true since the days of Exodus. It's just as true today. Reason? Is reason a bad thing? No, not at all. We need reason. You might even say reason is reasonable. It's true. God gave us the ability to think and to reason. But sometimes what we think is reasonable is not actually right. What matters to us is what's the right thing to do in a given circumstance. When I rely on my own intellect, what seems reasonable can end up being a mistake because reasonable, though a good thing, is not infallible. It's not perfect. Proverbs 16, 25, the author writes, there is a way that seems right, seems reasonable to man. It seems like the right thing to do, but in the end, it leads to death. How many times have you made a decision in your life that you thought was reasonable? It seemed like the right thing to do, but then it ended up being an absolute, complete, and utter disaster or failure. Why? Because our reason isn't infallible. We make mistakes. Another thing people will build their lives on is emotion. We build our lives on our feelings. If it feels right, then do it. No, don't ever go with that. Please, 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 please don't go with that. That's a terrible thing. Um, you've got to rely on more than that. You've got to rely on other things. You've got to rely on the word of God because it's always, always correct. Many times, many times people wander astray by their feelings. Don't do that. Don't do that. They lie. 
Our feelings lie to us more than anything else. We lie to ourselves all the time. We tell ourselves, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. In reality, it's really not that bad. At the same time, we lie to ourselves, everything's perfect, everything's wonderful. In reality, the sky is falling and we need to pay attention to that. We're great at doing those things in our life. There's a verse all the way back in the book of Judges that describes, I think, pretty accurately some things today. Judges 21. At that time, there was no king in Israel, and people did whatever they felt like doing. It's a pretty good summary of 2020, isn't it? I think it is. We must build our lives on the Word of God. I don't always like it. I don't always love what it says. It's always convenient for me. It's not always politically correct. But if God said it, then it's true. So I'm going to build my life on the Word of God. It's my final authority. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to feed on the Word of God. We've got to let it come into us. Feed on the Word. You have to feed on the Word to get the strength that you need in life. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is spiritual food. Spiritual food. It is the water that we so desperately need, the living water. It is the milk. It is the honey. It is the bread. And it is the meat of our spiritual lives. That's everything you're ever going to need in life for spiritual strength. You have to feed yourself, though. You can't rely on others to always be feeding you. It's just like physical food. At some point in time, you all grew out of you having your mommy feed you. You figured out how to feed yourself. That's a good thing because you'd be starving to death now if you had not have. The same thing is true with spiritual food. God's word says that we are to be building our lives on very specific things. And the reality is we're all going to build our lives on something. What's it going to be? We are also told in God's word that we will be in spiritual battle throughout our lives. And so we're left with this. What are our successes of building a strong life, on building a healthy life, on surviving the spiritual battles if we're starving to death? They're pretty slim. We need the spiritual food in order to have the strength that we need. One of the things that's really awesome about the Word of God is this. When you feed on the Word of God, unlike traditional food, it actually makes you more hungry. It actually makes you hungrier and hungrier and thirstier and thirstier for more and for more. Our memory verse for that week was Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I love that verse. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So how do we feed ourselves on the Word of God? How do we allow that to happen? Now, we had talked about this all back in the very first message of this series, and so I'm going to cover them very quickly, but you can go back and get the full scope of them in that first message. The first way that you can take the Word of God in is to receive it with your ears. That's simply to listen. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, right? Comes by hearing, but that's not enough. We forget so much of what we hear. We can't let that happen with the Word of God. So we got to take it to the second level. The second level is to feed on the Word of God is to actually physically read it with my eyes. And that goes beyond the screen behind you where you see these verses. It involves you opening up the Word of God. If you have a house, if you have a Bible in your home, it does not bless you at all. You actually have to get God's Word into your heart in order to find that blessing. you got to take in by reading the Word of God. So we read it with our eyes. The third way we feed on it is we, we research it with our hands and our mouth. And that was that weird sounding one. What do, you, what do you mean by that hands and mouth? Well, we talked about the difference between reading the Bible devotionally and actually studying God's Word. And that was you actually 
record things. You write things down or you type things out. You interact with the word of God. You ask it questions as you move along. You journal what God is sharing with you through his word. It's a big, big difference, but that's a part of feeding ourselves and growing. A fourth way to feed ourselves in the word is to reflect on it, think about it, dwell on it in our mind, spend time meditating on God's word. That's what this entire series has been about. Different ways to engage with God's word, to constantly be thinking about it, meditating on it, praying through it, reflecting on the word of God. And then we move on to the second level, which is discussing it with other people, interacting with the word of God and discussing it with others. This is what small groups are all about as we interact with the word of God and we hear other people's ideas and we learn and we continue to grow in the word. The fifth way that I can feed myself is that way I remember it. I remember it within my heart. We're talking about memorizing scripture. We've given you five so far. The sixth one will come today. I want to give you a little illustration of what this looks like, hence all of the, the various props and, and everything up here today. But this is a really, really, really important one. If you think of your, your soul, if you will, as this glass of water, and you think of the Bible, God's word, as, as this little tea bag, there's a lot of different ways that these two could interact. And one would be by listening. That what we talked about just moments ago, listening would be very comparable to this right here. This would be listening to the word. I'm going to sit here for just a few minutes and listen to the word of God. And you'll notice that, uh, well, really, very, very little change, did it? As a matter of fact, it's almost as if absolutely nothing even happened to the word of God. The word's wet a little bit, but, but my, my life didn't really change at all. But then as we take it on a little bit further and we begin to not just hear it with our ears, but we begin to read it with our very own eyes. And we begin to, to study it. We go back and we look at it again and again, and we write things down. We talk to other people about the Word of God, and then we step away from that, and we begin reflecting on the Word of God and what it means. And I begin to meditate on it, reading it over and over and over. And then I go and I put myself in the story, and I imagine what it would have been like these are real people, real events that really happen. What would it have been like to be a part of those things? And then I read the word of God and I look at the words individually and I, I learn what those words mean and how important they each are to this story, this big story that goes all together. And then I begin to memorize the word of God as I think about it over and over. When I do that, something starts to change in my life, just like what's beginning to happen with the water. The water is starting to absorb. My soul is starting to absorb the word of God. It starts to take on the color of the tea. It starts to take on the aroma of the tea, the texture of the tea, ultimately the character of the tea. That is what it's like to let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly, You begin to absorb what it is really saying, and you begin to live out those things in your life. Why? Why does God want us to do that? Well, he wants us to do that because not only are we to feed on it, not only are we to integrate the word of, life, word of God into our life, but we're to live by the word of God. We have to live this thing out. It can't just be words on a page. The word of God is not only meant for food for your soul. The word of God is meant to be your standard of living your life. The word of God sets the standard by which you judge everything else of value in this world. It is the standard by which you should make decisions that you're facing in life. 
God's word says the very beginning of Psalms, this, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but blessed is the one who meditates on the word of God. What does that mean? Well, it means if you want your life to be a blessed life, you got to quit listening to the world. You got to quit listening to the counsel of the world on the way the world thinks. You meditate instead. You build your life instead on what God thinks. And there's only one place to find that information. It's the word of God. And it will give you what you need, the hope you need when you're in crisis. The word of God will give you the comfort you need when you're in despair. The word of God will give you the strength you need when you're weak. The word of God will give you the wisdom you need when you're confused. It will give you the guidance you need when you're looking for direction. And it's the word of God that will give you the strength to resist and fight against the temptation that surrounds us. The memory verse from week five was Psalm 119. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. This is memorizing scripture. This is what it's all about, hiding God's word within me so that I can reference it so I will not sin against him. In Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted, many people are familiar with that story. Satan comes at him three times and Jesus only has one defense, the same defense every time. He says, and I quote, it is written. He uses the word of God against Satan and his temptation as you and I can do as well. We have to hide this word in our hearts so we can have access to it so God can bring it back to our mind. And when we do, and when we do, then God will bring those things back to our mind for whatever we are facing. When a friend is facing something, God will bring those thoughts back to our mind that we've established there. And he will be able to share with people, hey, this is what God's word has to say about this because it's right there because we've committed it to our hearts. I want to bring you back to this small picture in front of me of this glass because you see something else has happened in just these last couple of moments. The water has now truly absorbed the color of the tea, hasn't it? The flavor, the aroma is there and it's getting stronger by the moment. But something else has happened to the water. You see, this is no longer a glass of water, is it? It's taken on an entirely new identity. We wouldn't call that a glass of water. We would now call it a glass of tea, wouldn't we? When you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, the flavor, the aroma, the character of Christ comes and dwells within you, but it goes further. You now take on an entirely new identity in Christ. You now become a man and a woman of the word, of Christ, the person that he's always wanted you to become. Now you can begin to see that exists within your life, but there's something even more incredible. Not only do you now know what the word of God says, but you are starting to become more and more and more like the author. It's an incredible transformation. The fourth thing, the fourth thing that we need to do is we gotta grow. We gotta grow through this, and this is a problem for a lot of Christians. We get to a point we accept Christ, and then 50 years later, we're sitting in the same seat at church, we're involved in the same amount of activity, we're not leading, we're not teaching, we're not discipling, we're not converting, we just come. And we get to this point and we just level off. We don't grow. The truth is, when it's planted the truth in your heart, then something should be happening. If it finds good soil, then it begins to grow and produce fruit. If you were able to join us or watch last week, then you remember, hey, uh, no root, no fruit. No prayer, no fruit in your life. God wants you to be fruitful. As, fa as a matter of fact, he wants you to be exceedingly fruitful, very fruitful in your life. It's a big deal. If I'm going to be a man or a woman of the word, then I'm going to produce fruit. In order to do that, I have to have a receptive heart. I've got to have good soil. The third verse that we looked at, 
through these six memory verses, Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your word. I ask you, have anybody taken that challenge? And as you open your Bible daily for devotion, as you open your prayer time with God, do you recite these words? Do you remember this prayer, God? Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your word. Will you commit to doing that? Allow God to say, God, I'm giving you permission to come into me right now and open my eyes that I might see because there are so many wonderful things in God's word, but you can't see them unless God opens those spiritual eyes that we talked about. We've got to be receptive. Jesus told a whole story about this. He told a whole story about this. It's in Luke 8. We're going to summarize it very quickly. Here's this parable of the sower. He talks about this farmer. He goes out, he sows seeds in four different types of soil. Well, these four different types of soil actually represent our attitudes toward God's word. The first one is the hardened soil. There's a lot of people that have a hardened mind when it comes to God's word. They can't open their mind. They don't want to do that. They're set in their ways. They won't even give God a chance to talk to them. Our minds are made up. Our hearts are hardened. We're not willing to listen. I don't want to hear what God says about my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my relationship. I don't want to hear what God has to say about my debt, about my job. I don't want to hear what God has to say about my sexuality. I don't care what God has to say because I have my mind made up and God will just have to deal with it. Well, okay. But if you're going to go approach life that way, God's truth is not going to change your life. You have to allow it in to begin that transformation. Jesus said the second kind of soil is the farmer that throws the soil in the, or throws the seed in the shallow soil. That represents our superficial minds. We go to church, we think, well, that was a great sermon. And by the time we've got to the car, we've completely forgot every single element of it. We've forgotten it completely. We get excited about the topic. Maybe we react emotionally or impulsively, but we never let the word of God dive deep into our being and let us let absorb it into who we are. We don't take it in and let it sink in. It never penetrates our minds and our hearts. So how do I keep from becoming spiritually superficial? How do I get some depth In my life, how do I get some roots? How do I get spiritual maturity? Well, I have to make time for God's word. It's got to go beyond the hour we spend together on Sunday mornings. I can't just do the quick glance on Sunday mornings or each day. I got to dive deeper into it. If I don't, I won't build any roots. Roots take time to develop. Busyness is a major factor in that, and we'll get on with number three. Number three, the third time of soil is those weeds that come in and destroy. The word gets firmly implanted in you. It grows. It's in good soil, but the weeds grow up all around us, and our minds lose sight of where we should be going. Other things choke it out. It could be a lot of things. It could be worry. It could be busyness. It could be money. It could be job. It could be relationships. There's a lot of things that it could be, but I get preoccupied, and then I don't hear the word of God in my life, so I must eliminate distractions. I've got to figure out a way to eliminate distractions in my life. As I was reading, one of the thoughts that that came to mind through all of this was maybe the biggest sin of the modern believer isn't some great moral collapse. It isn't some terribly evil thing. In reality, maybe our greatest sin is that we are just too busy. Too busy busy because we fill our lives with so many things that really just are not that important. And then we don't have time for what's really important in life. And I'm absolutely convinced that if you took about half of the things in your life and you just eliminated them completely, that you would be physically healthier, that you would be emotionally healthier, and you would definitely be able to grow spiritually if you chose to 
on your own. Now, some of you might say, Chris, that's impossible. There is no way I could ever cut a bunch of stuff out of my life. Are we living in 2020 or not? Because all of us experienced that earlier this year. We all cut everything out of our life for a period of time, did we not? And some of us have remained there, haven't we? We are living, some of us, a simpler life right now and probably enjoying it. And some of us have bought back into the lies of the world. And we're just as busy or more so than we were before because we have these extra complexities involved. Can I just ask you as a man or a woman of God to make a stand for your life and for your family and for your relationships and say, you know what, um, men, I need you to lead your families in the way of Christ. And if there are barriers that you've allowed back into your life, we got to kick those back out. We've got to pursue Christ with who we are, first and foremost, women. Women, will you listen to God? Will you discern? I truly believe that women have a special ability to discern the voice of God in this world. I truly believe that. I can point to some scripture examples if you would like, but I'm just challenging the women to listen carefully to the voice of God as you lead and to guide and direct your families. It is so important. It's an old expression. But it goes something like this. If you burn your candle at both ends, you're not nearly as bright as you think you are. Think about what you're doing to yourself. It's the truth. That's the soil with the weeds. The fourth, of course, is the willing mind, the fertile soil, the good soil. This is the soil where the seed gets planted and it grows deep and it produces all kinds of fruit. This is what our hearts must be receptive to the word. I'm willing, I'm teachable, I'm humble. I know that I don't know it all and I'm waiting for God to show me what he wants to show me. I cooperate with what God says. And that leads us to our fifth of six action steps. If I want to be a man of the God, if I want to be a a woman of God, then I have to build my life on it. I've got to feed on it. I've got to live by it. I've got to grow through it. And I have to act on it. We mentioned this many times throughout the series. A Bible study isn't a Bible study until you actually put it into action. You only believe the parts of the Bible you actually do. And that's a very challenging thing to consider, but it's absolutely true. We don't automatically live a life of, of godliness, if you will. We don't infiltrate the word in our life just by showing up on Sunday morning, just by writing notes so that I have it down. No, I don't have it down. I have to put it in to my life. I have to actually do what it says. We've spent six weeks teaching everyone on how to get deeply into the word of God, and it is so important that now we have to go and be doers of the word. Put what we've learned into action from this day Forward. As I said at the beginning, this is the end of these 40 days, and it's the beginning of the rest of your life studying God's word in this way. Finally, there's one last thing that we need to do with the word of God. If I'm going to become the person that has integrated God's word fully into my life and his plan for it, then I must trust. <laughs> I must trust in the word of God. I build on it. I feed on it. I live by it. I grow through it. I act on it, and finally, I live it out by actually trusting what God has to say to me. Why can I trust the Bible? Well, that was week two. You can go back, listen to week two's message. We spent an entire Sunday on that topic, so we don't have time to review that this morning, but I can tell you this. God is never going to lead you in the wrong direction. God is never going to lead you in the wrong direction. Other people will. Good, intention, loving, well-meaning, even family members will give you great advice that sends you in the absolute wrong direction. God will never do that. You can always trust where he is sending you. If he tells you to go this way, you should probably go this way. If he tells you to go that way, 
you should go that way. Why? Because it will always, always be the right way. It's going to be the best way. Maybe not the easiest, but it will always be the best. And it's going to cause a whole lot less problems in the long run. And many of you can attest to that through your life's experience. Today's memory verse, Psalm 119, 105, is this. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. For your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's like that flashlight illustration from so many weeks ago, showing me what's just ahead of me so I don't trip and fall. Have any of you ever been in the dark in your life, figuratively? You don't really know what's going on. You don't know what to do with this relationship in your life. You don't have the slightest idea what you should do about this job or that thing or how to raise your kids. You forget about the five-year plan. You don't know what the next five minutes holds for your life. Has anyone ever been in that state of life where you're just so confused and you don't know what you should be doing? Well, here's the thing. It's a little secret that most of you have learned. When you walk into a very dark room, instinctively, you turn on the light so that you can see. <laughs> why don't we do that with God's word? This is why we need to memorize the word of God. It's a promise from God. The next time you're dark, in the dark, the next time you're confused, the next time you just don't know which direction to go, stop what you're doing and say, God, here's the thing. God, I'm gonna pray to you right now. God, I know you said in Psalm 119 something. No, no, no. Psalm 119, 105. I know you said, God, in Psalm 119, 105, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. God, you promised me that. So God, I'm praying for you to make that promise true in my life right now. I need a light, God. I don't have a clue where I am going. And I'm gonna make my end of the commitment. I'm gonna spend time in your word. Will you reveal to me where it is I'm supposed to be? God will honor that prayer. And as you start reading and you start doing those things, you start feeding yourself, you go into the word and say, God, I'm trusting you. I don't necessarily like what it's saying, but I'm trusting in you. I know you will not lie to me. I know you will show me what path to be on, you're going to lead me through this dark time. I know when I'm confused, Father, you're going to clear this up because you promised you would. You promised you would. If you will commit to doing that, you will see amazing, amazing things begin to happen in your life. And so here's what we want to do. We can't just end this sermon series and say, well, that was great. Okay, move on to the next thing. No, 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 no. This is the final week of the series, but it's the first day of the rest of your life in God's word. We want you to change. God wants you to change. He wants you to make a commitment to keep on doing what you've been doing or start what you know you're supposed to be doing. If you will continue in my word, Jesus said, if you will continue, can we together as the body of Christ change that? When I continue, God, when I continue in your word, God, when I continue in your word, what will you do? How will you change me? I want to challenge you to keep on being a part of a, a small group, a community group, if you are. If you're not, the next time one comes around, please, please join one. Or if you feel moved by the Spirit to start one now in these odd times, please do. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there's a specific group of people that you are the one that's supposed to bring together, and God is calling you to do that. I want to challenge you to keep on reading and studying God's Word every day. I want you to keep on talking about it with other people as you strive to live out what the Word of God tells us. Because here's the reality of this illustration I left you with at the very, very beginning. God doesn't want to be some drawer in your life. Jesus has no desire to be that top drawer in your life, whatsoever at all. You see, Jesus wants to be the whole dresser. That's all he wants is everything. Everything, let me explain. We left this a complete mess, everything all piled up on 
each other. Honestly, we said, you, you can't really get to your Jesus drawer because if you try to open it, you're going to have to do it very carefully. And if you somehow get it open, your whole life's probably going to come crashing down around you because the priorities are all out of whack. But Jesus doesn't want to be that way. He wants to be a part of every single part of your life. And so when you take that bottom drawer and you take the experience you have in life, you take your social media, you take your activities, you take your recreation, you take all those things, and you take the Word of God with you to all of these places, then you're going to see things begin to change. You got to have God in, in your life. You got to be that light for other people. Wherever you go, whoever you're with, on social media or anywhere else, man, you have to be the light for those people because they don't have hope in anything else. You've got to provide that hope for them. Maybe that next one is your family, and you're like, man, man, my family right now, the only time my family sees it, Jesus is when that drawer happens to get open on that rare occasion, and I've come to the realization that, man, I've got to take God's word, and I've got to make this in a huge, huge, important part of my family because, you know, I only get one shot at this to raise my kids, and if I want them to have an eternity with Christ, then I gotta do everything I can. I gotta pour everything I can into that right now. We pour so many things into our kids' lives. Are we pouring the word of God into their lives? Are we ensuring that they will grow and love Jesus the same way that you and I do? Are we risking that to chance as we pour into them sports, pour into them academics, and we pour into all these other areas? It's like, well, maybe they'll love Jesus too. It's a big decision that we have to make. We have to stand firm as parents, and we've got to guard our kids against the evils of this world, and there are a lot of them, and it will be hard, but are we willing to make a stand and do that? And then there's the old work drawer coming up here. We got the work drawer that, that's so very important to us because, hey, it does pay the bills. I mean, we kind of need that job, don't we? Um, taking this to work with us, maybe literally physically, but imagine, imagine for a moment if you were to take Jesus to work with you. Do you work hard? Do you do a great job because if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus calls you to. I don't care if you love your job, you hate your job. Christ calls us to do the best we can. Paul writes, Colossians 3, 23, I believe. He says, hey, whatever you do, work, as it, work at it as if working for the Lord. Whatever it is, whether you're at McDonald's or you're at Walmart or you're at your high professional job, work, as it, work at it as if working for the Lord because you know your reward is not here. Your reward is with Christ. So you do the best job you can here. And what's that going to do for your work environment? Well, it's going to do some amazing things because your coworkers are going to see your work ethic and some of them will hate you for it. And that's okay. Some of them will look at you and admire and respect you for it. Some of them will look at you and they'll see how much you care about people and how, how good of a job that you do, how, how well you do at each and everything. They'll wonder, why do they care so much about this? They're going to see how you treat your wife, how you treat your kids, how you treat those in authority over you. They're going to say, wow, that person is very very different. They're going to remember something that we talked about several weeks ago, the characteristics of the, the godly men of Paul and Epaphroditus and what those look like. People are going to notice those things, and they're going to see you as different. And then, of course, there's that marriage component. You know what? A lot of people are struggling in their marriages right now. The statistics are out if you haven't seen them. Surprisingly, during all of this quarantining and everything else that's going on, all the stress of life, the divorce rate is down substantially. The cynic in me says that's because people can't get to the courthouse. I'm just telling you how it is. I haven't breaks my heart. As optimistic as I am about those stats, I just hope that they're true. Because when we take the word of God and we infiltrate it into our marriage and it ties it in, it is the tie that binds us together with our husband's wife, and we begin to commit to spending time in the word of them, spending time in prayer with them, spending time in prayer with them, not just for them, 
but actually together. When we begin to make decisions based on the word of God as a family, as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, and we consider what God would have us do with our kids, we consider what God would have us do with our jobs and the decisions we make, our worlds will change. And here's the thing. That leaves that top drawer, that also important Jesus drawer. It's no more because this is our Jesus drawer. Our entire life is filled with the word of God, literally, as we took the Bible, as it was represented in each and every one of those drawers. So what do we do with this top drawer? That's a great question. That's a great question because you do still need your own personal private time, don't you? It's exactly what that drawer should represent. It should represent your private personal study time, your private personal time with God. And then as you spend that time in prayer, as you spend that time in word, look how it bathes over every other area of your life. It just overflows then to every area of your life. And you might say, well, why would I want that in there kind of hidden? Well, because that's what Christ calls us to do. Matthew, in the book of Matthew chapter six, he says, hey, don't be like the people that go out on the street corners and pray for everybody to see them because that's all they're gonna get. Be like the one that goes in his bedroom, shuts the door, closes it, turns off the lights and is all by themselves and spend that time with God. Be like the person who doesn't even let their left hand know what their right hand is doing as they give, as they serve. Don't make a big deal of it. Just let it happen. And you will be blessed if that is the way. This is your, your drawer with just you and just God. It's an incredible thought. Let that drawer be full of praise for Jesus as he surrounds and protects every element of your life. You see, Jesus doesn't want to take your life away. Jesus came to bring you life and life to the fullest. He came to give you hope, to give you a future, to forgive your mistakes and to offer you peace. But he can't do that. He can't do that until you turn your entire life, every element represented by those drawers and more, over to him. You can't fully know him and fully invest him in him until you know his word and what he's trying to share with you, until you become that man or woman of God, until you begin to listen and read and study and put into action those words of our Father. That is why God led us to this series. His timing is perfect. But the reality, as with everything is, hey, you know what? We have a new day tomorrow. We'll start a new series next Sunday. And all of this could be a complete waste of time if we don't think about this order for our lives and begin to allow the word of God to infiltrate every single part of it. Which brings me back to the very place that we started, Acts chapter 17. And, and I shared with you the words of Luke from Acts chapter 17, where we find the founding name of our church. Now, I don't think any of you were here when this church was formed. There's a few people maybe close, but I don't think any of you were here back when they officially named and titled this church. But Luke 17 says it this way, the people of Berea were more open-minded, not like today's open-minded, very different. Than those in Thessalonica. They listened to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day and checked up on Paul and Silas to see if they were really teaching the truth. And the very next verse tells you what happened. Because those people in Berea were willing to do that, were willing to commit to being people of the word, what happened? Well, it says, as a result, many of them, many of them believed, as also did a number of prominent Greek men and Greek women. Their belief, their influence, of the word into every element of their life drew people to Christ. And that's exactly what we need to do here. They searched it, they studied it, they shared it, they lived it out. And when they were done, people were drawn to Jesus. We were not there when they named this body of Christ. But it must have been their dream or their vision 
that this fellowship, that this family would one day become a family that puts Jesus first in everything they do. A family that literally infiltrates, integrates the word of God into every element of their being, every marriage, every family, every workplace, every friendship. And so I just ask you as people of Berea, whether in person or online, and we can't wait till those joining us online can be back with us in person, will we commit to that vision for this body of Christ? Because it will differentiate us from every other people group in our area and people will be drawn to Jesus. Will you join us in committing yourself to that cause and being people of the word? And as we close today, I don't know where you're at in life. We, we don't know what you're doing. We don't know what struggles you have. We want to always let you know this space, that space is available from this time forward to come and say, I just need prayer. I know I'm off track. I know things are messed up in my life. I need somebody to pray with me. We know that there's people that have maybe known Jesus their whole life, but they've never committed to this word of God. They've never fully developed it. They've just been a church goer, a tender not a man or a woman of the word. And we want to help make that transition in your life. Jesus wants nothing more than to change you in that way. The things he has in store for you are incredible. And of course, we would be completely, completely remiss if we didn't always and intentionally say, hey, if you don't have a clue what we're talking about, if you don't know anything about this word of God and you've never heard the name of Jesus before today, we wanna make an opportunity available to you because the spirit can move in you today to say, hey, if you don't know Jesus yet, would you come and talk to us about him because he wants to save you. Not just from this life, but for all eternity. Don't miss that moment. If the spirit is prompting you to do something weird and that's him talking, contact us, get a hold of us. Let's meet, let's talk about this Jesus and who he wants to be in your life. Father God, your word is incredible. And the study can be difficult. Father, you have such great things in store for those who love you. Father, I pray that we here at Berea, <clears throat> that we love you. Words are easy. We can all say that we love you, but Father, I pray that we go beyond the words and we, and we prove it with our lives. That we commit to being men and women of God. And where we've fallen short, we commit to being women of God who confess those moments. Father, we commit to being women of God who want to raise our family in your word, who want to live by your word, who want to reach others with your word. Father, you gave us this incredible gift and we neglect it. We ignore it. Father, let us not do that any longer. Transform this place. As those people of Berea were transformed so long ago by the continuous study of your word and the implementation of your word into every element of our life, may, may we be those people. May we be those people that make a difference, that make a change in this community and across the world. Father, we know that is your desire for us. We know that is your plan. And we're so thankful that you would choose us to be included in it. And if there's anyone that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, to forgive their sins, to save you, save them from this crazy world that we live in. I pray that your spirit moves in them today to do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.